everybody! Welcome to Oops Hot Topics with Jason Edgar. Now a podcast. I am your host for the next hour. Excited to be joining you live Friday, July 17th, 2020. Is that date even correct? It might be the 16th. No, that's the 17th is right. <laughs> Oops Hot Topics is presented by the Oops Hot Topics Network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice. Email me at jedgar1982 at gmail.com. Follow or direct message me on Twitter or Instagram at thejedgar. Follow, share, or download the show at oopsawtopics.podbean.com. And last but not least, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. So we have got kind of a discombobulated show today. I think I came up with the uh, feature discussion in my car on the drive up to my house today after doing some Instacart. <laughs> Um, I got a couple errors and omissions. It was actually an error and omission. That's going to be our feature discussion. Uh, going to talk about a new show I'm watching. Going to talk, obviously, about the sports bubble, all of our segments and current events, and then a couple weird sciences. And as mentioned, a huge errors and omission as our feature discussion when we take a wonderful glimpse back at the Clinton years. So anyways, back to errors and omissions. Um, last week, I was talking about how um, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders got together and did this form like unity committee or something like that, and I and I said something like Bernie said he was going to be the, next, the the most progressive president since like uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and I think I got Teddy Roosevelt and FD Roosevelt mixed up. I actually think I wanted to say FDR, but ultimately I really just wanted to read the article because the article will say exactly what I'm wanting it to say. Uh, Bernie Sanders says Biden will be most progressive president since FDR, so yeah, I was wrong, as Dems unveil unity platform after bitter behind-the-scenes battle. So basically what they're saying here is that even though it looked like the Democrats were kind of split, it actually shows that they are unified as a party and pushing Joe Biden to do certain things that would make him the most progressive president since FDR. Uh, Bernie Sanders said in a, where to go? Bernie Sanders said in a new policy platform unveiled by Joe Biden will make the presumptive Democratic nominee the most progressive president since Franklin Roosevelt. Sanders was referring to a series of platform recommendations for the Democratic Party that were put together by the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Forces, a series of groups formed after the primary process to bring together the moderate and progressive wings of the party. So... So basically, I don't know why Siri started talking to me. So basically what this article is saying is, is not only the, not only are the Democrats uh, unified, but they are ready to, uh, ready to attack Trump. And, and that's one thing that they have over the Republicans because the Republicans are not a united party. Do you support Trump or not? I think that there's some re- Republicans out there that actually rebuff Trump in some instances. I can name one off the top of my head, Mitt Romney. I can think of another one off the top of my head, Justin Amash. And so you want to talk about a party that's splintering, it's the Republican Party. It certainly isn't the Democrat Party. Like, when was the last time there was even, like, a Democratic issue? I was thinking about it. Was it the last time that Joe Biden said something like, if you vote for him, you ain't black? Or if you vote for Trump, you ain't black? That's literally the last time he even had some sort of, like, weird uh, utterance. Other than that, the Democrats have been batting a 1,000 for the past month. I also said that Hamilton was in his mid-20s during the events of Hamilton. I think I was pretty accurate on that. Just wanted to go ahead and clarify that. And then last but not least, I talk about uh, Roger Stone and his felonies, but I didn't bring up what type of felonies Roger Stone had. So this is what Donald Trump pardoned. Uh, Roger Stone had, uh, had a, uh, was convicted guilty of witness tampering, uh, lying to Congress, and obstructing an investigation by Congress. And all that stuff was just waved goodbye, commuted sentence, 
And so the difference here between a commuted sentence and a full pardon is that Robert Mueller still gets to call Roger Stone an ex-convict. He didn't lose. He didn't. He wasn't like pardoned of his crimes. He still was. Uh, he's. He still is. Um, he still committed those crimes. Trump just made his sentence much, much smaller, which, I mean, it, it, it leads to the perfect cover-up, right? Like, so Donald Trump and Roger Stone, they have this idea that they can get information from WikiLeaks, and it's just going to take Roger Stone sweating under an investigation lamp for a, few, uh, for a few months, and if they can pull it off, they can cheat to win the election, and then he pardons, and then Trump pardons Roger Stone for cheating to win the election. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, it's one of the smartest things Donald Trump has done is keep Roger Stone in his back pocket. All right, let's move on to my watch list. Um, don't watch Space Force on Netflix. It's not good. It, it, it takes so much to be a good comedy these days. Like, what's, what's the number one comedy on TV? Rick and Morty. And you literally have to have it be animated with a, a portal gun and a spaceship that tra- that travels anywhere in the universe. Like you need that just to be relevantly funny. So Space Force, I, did, I gave it a I gave it a check. Like the first episode, eh, there was some there was some good moments. There was some there was a pretty funny gags that went on for the first thirty minutes. But then the second episode was just not good. And 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 I kind of want like this confirmation bias. Like, am I the only one that thinks this Space Force on on Netflix is good? And come to find out, everyone says it's a big old dud. So I think this is one of those times where it's like the the story was was much better than the actual television show. Where it's like, oh my God, Steve Carell is going to be in a show called Space Force, and it's going to make fun of Trump's Space Force idea. And then it's like it never pans out. It turns out to be just like a little bottle rocket. And here's the thing. We actually kind of do need a Space Force to protect our uh, satellites. So of all the dumb things President Trump has done, creating a Space Force was actually not one of them because we do need to protect our satellites. So instead, we have uh, transitioned to watching more 90 Day Fiance. (laughs) The other way. With Big Ed. We're on the Big Ed season now. So as soon as y'all tell me what show to watch, I'll start watching one. All right, let's uh, enter into the sports bubble. And I had a conversation with uh, Joseph McGee about my take on Patrick Mahomes last week. And he uh, he direct messaged me, much like I ask everybody to uh, at the beginning of the show, direct message me on Twitter or Instagram, at the Judger. And he says of the Patrick Mahomes... Um, uh, contract is that I'm right. It's smarter to take less money for long-term success. Long-term success if championships are your goal. But if your goal is to just get paid, then you do what Patrick Mahomes did or what Dak, Dak Prescott is trying to do. Which, by the way, Dak Prescott did not get a long-term deal. He got salary uh, tagged. Though I'm sure the length of the 10-year deal helps in the short term. Not sure how it's spread out, uh, but I wonder how much of the money is on the back end of the deal, which would allow the team is still to still build on the team short term. So here's my uh, my kind of like clarification on what I said last week about the Patrick Mahomes deal. I shouldn't put so much emotion in my voice whenever I say that Patrick Mahomes is going to tank the Kansas City Chiefs for the next 10 years, but they aren't going to be as good as the New England Patriots have been over the past 15 or 16 years, and here's why. It doesn't matter even if Patrick Mahomes got an extensively large contract or he just gets the contract that everyone thinks is a pretty decent contract when you listen to sports radio and even what Joseph is saying right here. 
even then, he did take a certain amount of money out of the Chiefs' salary cap, and now they're going to suffer in other areas. <coughs> Excuse me, and I've already told you that they have a notoriously weak defense. And then you say, well, they have Frank Clark to be an edge rusher. Okay, but that's literally the only thing that they have. I know everyone says you need a good quarterback and you need somebody to rush the quarterback, and they have both those things, but dude, come on. Like, you gotta, you got to put some bodies into the other 10 positions for the defense. So I think, you know, the Chiefs are always going to be in it, but it's going to look more like a Peyton Manning run instead of a Tom Brady run. With a Tom Brady run, you have, like, nine Super Bowls and you win six of them. But with Peyton Manning, it's more like four Super Bowls and you win two of them and one of them you're blown out on. That's what's going to happen with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They'll make some Super Bowls. They might make two, three, even four, but they're not going to win all of them because there's going to be holes all over the defense. And you don't think the other 31 teams are thinking the same thing I'm thinking? I am a dumb podcaster outside of Chicago. I have no idea about this stuff, but I clearly see that they're putting a lot of their uh, interest into the quarterback position, which means their defense is going to be weak, which means all you got to do is just that week whenever you play the Chiefs, you've got to have a game plan that's like, all right, we've got to tackle this defense and get away from that edge rusher. In other news regarding uh, sports, uh, the Washington Redskins uh, have said that they're going to change their name, but they haven't done it yet. So currently they're just the Washington nothing. (laughs) You can't call them Redskins anymore. You'll be thrown into public opinion jail. And they're just Washington. Like, what do you put down? When you play play fantasy football, you get the defense of the – you get the mascot name. Right, I think I think that's how it works. No, I think it's never mind. I think it's the uh, I think it's the city name. But still, like, what do you say? What what do you call them? Uh, one of the number one things right now is the Red Tails. Uh, we could call them that. I think that's a pretty dumb name, even though I, I appreciate the historical significance. But I think Honey Badgers would be an awesome name for the Redskins. All right, that's some fun news, and also. Terrible things are happening in the NBA bubble. They they tried to build this thing all around Zion Williamson, and then as soon as like he gets there, he has to leave because there's like a family emergency that's probably COVID-related. And then whenever he comes back, he has to set out because he left the NBA bubble. Oh, and by the way, did you know that there's a snitch hotline where if you see anybody illegally leaving the NBA bubble, you can snitch on them? Oh, my God. It really is like summer camp down there. Now it's time for everyone's least favorite segment, Second Wave Corona, baby! And the only thing I have here is some pretty old news, uh, also some news about the White House covering up the records, the hospital records right now. Uh, But did you hear a couple of days ago that Florida had 15,000 new cases? That is unbelievable. We don't have this thing under control, and I doubt that even my school is going to have face-to-face classes in the fall. Because they're they're already like canceling college football, um, and, and it might be different in another country. But here's the thing, folks: it's not. It's the United States. We are getting our ass kicked by the coronavirus. Uh, Florida alone has seen an uptick uh, in in uh, in cases. And if we just appreciated public health a little bit more, we could have this thing knocked out. But we're still having a dumb campaign about wearing either a mask or not. And it leads me to a future status I'm going to have where it's like, you know who else doesn't have to have to wear a, na- a mask? 
babies, that's who. My little one doesn't have to wear a mask. You know what else he does? He complains when he doesn't get his way, and he needs help wiping his ass. So is that what you are, people who don't wear masks? You're little babies who can't wipe your ass properly? Put on a damn mask. Oh, and here's some real Nazi shit right here. Um, disappearance of COVID-19 data from CDC website spurs outcry. Governors join calls for asking what is happening with the uh, CDC research. On the eve of a new coronavirus reporting system this week, data disappeared from a Center for Disease Control and Prevention website as hospitals began filing information to a private contractor or their states instead. A day later, an outcry, including from other federal health officials, prompted the Trump administration to reinstate that dashboard in another daily CDC report on the pandemic. And on Thursday, the nation's governors joined the chorus of objections over the abruptness of the change to the reporting protocols for hospital, asking the administration to delay the shift for 30 days. In a statement, the National Governors Association said hospitals need the time to learn a new system as they continue to deal with the pandemic. So basically, the White House is now wanting all the information regarding COVID-19. And you know why they want to do that? So they can spin it in a direction that looks good for Trump. They can get all the information. They can get a quarter of a million new cases a day. And they can just say, Nope, looks pretty good here. No way that's good. No way that's good. All right, let's move on to the bright side of COVID. Um, I was going to talk about Michelle's syrup from Chicago, who's seen an uptick here, uh, but I didn't really research a lot of it. Just trust me, it's happening. Uh, that's probably because people don't want to buy Aunt Jemima syrup anymore because Aunt Jemima's racist. <laughs> Wait, how can Aunt Jemima be racist? Uh, but one bright side of COVID is that um, Donald Trump continues to be canceling uh, rallies. In fact, his New Hampshire rally was canceled because of low attendance fears, says advertisers. So basically, it's not because of coronavirus, but it's because they think that there's not going to be a lot of people there. The Trump campaign canceled the president's planned rally in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, because of concerns that COVID-19 fears and a forecasted thunderstorm would lead to low attendance, people close to the campaign told NBC News. In its statement, the Trump campaign announcing the rally was being called off blamed for a forecasted thunderstorm in the area and safety reasons for the decision. But officials told NBC that it was one of several factors that the campaign feared would lead to low attendance at the event, prompting the cancellation. It's the perfect timing. The weather may have been dissuading people to attend, but many weren't coming to begin with because of the virus, an outside campaign advisor told the outlet. So, I mean, what's what's happening here? President Trump can't people to, can't have people attend his rallies, or is it or is it because of coronavirus fears? It's probably a little bit of both which is the reason why he should really listen to his scientists and medical professionals like Dr. Anthony Fauci whenever they say we need to be wearing masks and then we'll have this thing licked in six weeks so you can do your dumb rallies and conventions. But no, instead he wants to act like a big man and not wear masks. Meanwhile, the United States is the laughing stock of the entire world. And it's not the only thing that has been canceled out of Trump's favor. What about the convention? Um, the con uh, there's a number of Republicans that are saying that they're not heading to the convention. Uh, I don't have a list here, but just look at some of these headlines. Uh, headed to the convention? No, not I. More Republicans are saying. The RNC suffers another round of notable dropouts. Trump's grand GOP convention plans shrink as virus surges. 
North Carolina GOP cancels its in-person convention, and so does Texas. So there's not going to be any conventions this year, which is kind of sad because that's when you get to hear all the really good speakers from the Democratic Party. But I guess it's the bright side because what do Republicans do whenever they all get together? They just spread fear and hate, blame things on immigrants, poor people, and teachers. So this is kind of a bright side, but not for maybe the reason you just heard me say but for the reason that you don't want people to get sick at these dumb conventions, right? There's a ton of people that go to these conventions every single four years whenever they come up, and they could be super spreader events. So no, don't have political conventions this year. It's not needed. Just do everything on Zoom. All right, so that's it for the bright side of COVID. I think I've talked a little bit about Trump talk already today. Uh, most of this week, he's literally been just babbling, right? Just just look up the news where he like had a weird one-hour Rose Garden press conference about China. It was supposed to be about China, but then he transitioned by saying Obama and Biden were weak on China and then rambled on and on for 45 minutes about how terrible Joe Biden would be. And it's like, dude, come on. You're saying that Joe Biden is senile. Meanwhile, you are acting like a senile individual. So that's your Trump talk for this week that he is just babbling. But more importantly, uh, it looks like he is losing his, uh, his, his one of his big strongholds from the 2016 election, uh, that being the, uh, the suburbs. Trump could sink the House GOP in suburbia from CNN politics. President Donald Trump's continuing erosion among well-educated voters looms as perhaps the most imposing headwind to Republican hopes of recapturing the House of Representatives in November, or even avoiding further losses in the chamber. In 2018, a suburban revolt against Trump powered Democrats to sweeping gains in white-collar House districts from coast to coast. The Senate left the GOP holding only one about one-fourth of all House districts that have more college, cra- college graduates than the national average, down from more than two-fifths before the election, according to a new CNN anal- analysis of census data. Now, recent national and district level polls signal that many of the well-educated voters souring on Trump are also displaying more resistance to Republican congressional candidates than in 2018, potentially much more. So that's a big problem for Republicans. You don't even have the House of Reps, and you could potentially lose even more seats. And the Democrats could have a super majority, and it's all because of what? Donald Trump, that's why. He's not only going to lose the election, but he's going to lose all these down-ballot Republicans. They're going to lose the Senate, they're definitely going to keep losing the House, and they're going to lose the White House as well. Uh, If you're just joining us, you're listening to Oops Hot Topics, part of the Oops Hot Topics network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice. Email me at jedgar1982 at gmail.com. Follow or DM me on Instagram or Twitter at the Jedgar, just like Joseph did. Follow, share, or download the show at oopsawtopics.podmean.com. And last but not least, subscribe and review on Apple Podcast. There is one person that is kind of like the opposite of Donald Trump, and we're seeing it more and more these days, and that's Dr. Anthony Fauci. I am loving me some Dr. Anthony Fauci. For starters, again, he's the opposite of Trump. He's science versus nationalism. Um, they've tried to stifle his, his voice this week, uh, but what he does instead is just go on podcast and talk and talk and talk, and he's been on television as well, and he's getting his message out there. And I'm going to do my part by spreading his method message as well. Um, what I'm going to play for you right now is an interview he had on the podcast America Dissected, uh, where they pretty much talk about the coronavirus, and so having Dr. Fauci on was a big uh, uh, knee up for them, or leg up for them, so to speak, a certain part of the, uh, <laughs> a certain part of the leg. 
Um, but the reason I played uh, this this uh, this portion on my speech class audio was because he talks about how important it is to hone your message to the audience as well as maintaining credibility. So let me just pull up this clip and let you listen to it. Again, this is Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is the head or the director of infectious disease and allergy. Uh, and so he's a very important in the grand scheme of things. I think the first thing, there are a couple of guidelines that I've used now for decades. And one of the things is that you've got to speak in a way that people can understand what you're talking about. Often, scientists, physicians, you know, health authorities speak in such an archaic way that 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 they get they confuse the public. You've got to be really very consistent and very very clear in what your message is. The other thing is you've got to maintain credibility. So you've really got to tell things as they really are. You never want to frighten or overly and inappropriately alarm the public, but you should not keep from the public information that they really need to know. Because if you do either of those, sugar-coated or over-exaggerated, sooner or later people are not going to listen to what you're saying. I mean, that can't get any better. He says, for starters, you got to make sure you're, that your message is clear, right? He also says you got to maintain your credibility and not push fear, okay? You don't have to be fearful if you wear a mask or you socially distance or you stay at home or you wash your hands. There's no reason to fear this virus, okay? Whew, I love that. Now let's move to Flip the Senate, one of my new favorite segments for sure. The more these current event segment start popping up in my <laughs> in my podcast the less and less i'm going to have more of a feature discussion and just have like a rant at the very end but that's fine by me i'm starting to kind of like i'm kind of turning into a mixture of real time with bill maher and the monday morning podcast with bill burr where it's like bill burr is just nut ranting about nonsense like i'm doing but bill maher has like that more political angle and has a pretty good political message at the end so enjoy but anyways back to flip the flip the senate I about said flip the Texas because that's about that's what the Democrats are close closer to doing. Because again, according to CNN, Texas is a swing state in 2020, new polls reveal. A new CBS News YouGov poll shows President Donald Trump is in trouble in three states he won in 2016. He's tied with former Vice President Joe Biden in Arizona, a state he won by four points in 2016. Trump's down 48 to 42 in Florida, a state he took by a point in 2016. But it's the third state, Texas, where the eye-popping results come from. It's Trump's 46% to Biden's 45%, a result well within any margin of error. So it's pretty clear looking at the data that Texas is a swing state in the 2020 election. The 2020 campaign could be the first time Democrats captured the Lone Star State in a presidential election since 1976. Now, why am I bringing this up during the Flip the Senate segment? Because you know that if people are voting for Joe Biden or maybe just voting for Trump, they might not be voting for Ted Cruz. Or not Ted Cruz, but John Cornyn. And he's that senator that's up for election in Texas. And if Beto O'Rourke could get a certain amount of votes from from, uh, for, from Ted Cruz, then that means that this less popular John Cornyn is going to have his hands full with the Democratic Senate candidate. Now, ultimately, I don't think this year that he's going that that Joe Biden is going to win Texas. But man, considering that he's thinking about investing twenty million dollars into it, 
says a lot about what he wants to do. However, what if you invested $20 million in Texas and you didn't invest that much in Florida or Pennsylvania or Virginia, and then you ended up not even winning Texas and you lost those states as well? So that's the reason why campaigns, uh, campaign uh, contributions and campaigning and all that stuff is just so important to give to the people that you want to win because they're going to be able to use it the best way possible. Here's some more uh, Senate news. Even Senate races have caught COVID-19, boosting Democrats', Democrats chances of winning control of the chamber. Now, oh, same thing. Side effects of the pandemic, especially the damage it has done to President Donald Trump's political standing, have contributed to a tectonic shift in the landscape for Senate contests this fall. That has boosted once distant Democratic prospects to claim a majority after six years of Republican control. I was right having this segment. We got to have a flip the Senate segment. But I digress. The gain of three or four seats that Democrats need is a target that analysts in both parties now say is in reach. Both parties are saying that. That's hysterical. Since January, when the novel coronavirus was first seen as a global health threat, the political outlooks for eight Republican senators running for re-election have worsened, according to rankings by the nonpartisan Cook Political Report. Now, nine GOP-held seats are rated as competitive or toss-up compared with two Democratic-held seats. Every week, we're going to talk about flipping the Senate. Because if you want Joe Biden to do any of those things I was talking about, he has got to flip the Senate. Uh, I'm going to cut out my Karen Bass article um, because I'm really sad about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Karen Bass may be Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate, but um, I don't know much about her. And, and with that being said, I don't think that she's going to, uh, to be the nominee because she's just not popular enough. And what state is she going to carry? But we, I, we just learned over the past uh, few hours that RBG does, in fact, have cancer again. And, like, I talked about this two or three weeks ago whenever I said, um, whenever I talked about, what, or what was it where I talked about the Supreme Court and having like term limits for Supreme Court justices. I think it was my two reasons why we'll never change. And the reason that we need term limits for Supreme Court justices is because we get in this really weird situation where we're like praying for someone's health and hoping they don't die before the next election. And this is exactly what happens whenever Ruth Bader Ginsburg has has cancer you know she should have the respect to deal with her cancer the way that she wants to deal with it but instead all of us are worried about donald trump getting another supreme court pick and so we're like prop her up in a corner don't touch her or get her all the medical things that she needs and it's like that's just weird it's just so weird that we have to depend on a heartbeat to make sure that you know the, the whole country is aligned. And the way you do this is simply by having Supreme Court term limits. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, once she has been on served on the court, she probably would have left in, like, what, the, the 2000s? Yikes. So get well soon, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We need you. All right. What's next? That was a massive current event segment, which only means that uh, the next thing we need to do is play some music for our sponsor. Let's put in some Uptown Funk. Not sure how it connects to our presenting sponsor, but the presenting sponsor of Oops All Topics is Morton College. Did you know that Morton College offers 17 associate's degrees in applied sciences? 
five transfer program degrees, and 40, count them, 40 career certificates, including programs like forklifting, pharmacy, welding, and vet tech. Not to mention the number one uptown funk program in the Chicagoland area. Oh, I mean nursing program in the Chicagoland area. My apologies. Morgan College is excited to offer day, evening, online, hybrid, and even dragon courses. Again, just kidding. During the fall, summer, and spring semesters to meet the demands of your busy Bruno Mars. So, whether you're looking to transfer to a four-year school or earn credits towards your uptown funk, Morgan College has classes and schedule for you. So, for more information, call 708-656-8000, look them up on Facebook, or visit www.morton.edu. Don't believe me, just watch. <laughs> oh, man. This show has taken a turn for the worst ever since I moved to Fridays, and I think it's good. I need, I think my ideal podcast, if I haven't already said it, a mix of Bill Burr and, and Bill Maher, I should just rename myself Bill, is a relaxed Friday show where I'm ranting and raving about certain things that I can deconstruct really well. So, anyways, with... Let's see here. Let's move on to weird science. And this week we got some weird, weird science stuff. And I thought I was going to be the only one talking about this bubonic squirrel. Uh, occurred over like a couple of days ago, but everyone picked up on it. But I still wanted to talk about it. Do I have a CBS article? Let's just skip that one. A squirrel has the bubonic plague. Next. <laughs> 2020 said, yeah, who does it? <laughs> Speaking of the bubonic plague, I think this, uh, I think this podcast has had um, um, newspaper plague because every single art- article I've clicked on is like, you have to be a subscriber, and it's like, I'm not going to subscribe. Just give me the article for free. Christ. That's happened like three times today. I literally had to stop and start. Ugh. Anyways. Okay, so anyways, the second thing I wanted to talk about besides squirrels having the bubonic plague was that they put a teeny tiny camera on a beetle. Scientists build tiny camera for beetles to carry around. This comes from... Jeez, I'm not... uh, Gizmodo. To get a first-hand look at the daily life of insects, scientists built a tiny camera they can mount on a beetle using a Lilliputian backpack. Wow. The beetle cam, our name, not theirs, comes from the computer science department of the University of Washington, who are tasked with designing a camera light enough to not interrupt the bug's daily routine, but powerful enough to stream live footage to a smartphone. The result, Gizmodo reports, is a teeny robotic rig that that grants real-time access to a bug's view of the world. The main challenge the team had to uh, overcome was building a camera small enough to be carried by the death-feigning and Pinacate beetles, both of which Gizmodo reports are known for carrying things up steep inclines, and making the camera powerful enough to be worth using in the first place. Even a smartphone's built-in camera would be too heavy, so the scientists took inspiration from insects themselves, according to research published Wednesday in the Journal of Science Robotics. Like a fly's compound eyes, the beetle cam has a wide field of vision, but only a small range in which the image is particularly sharp. So, really cool stuff there. Hopefully we start seeing stuff on YouTube where it's like, hey, check out the life of a dung beetle. All right, let's move on to our feature discussion. And this week, we are going to go down memory lane 
and scroll down the Wikipedia page of Bill Clinton. <laughs> because I didn't do my research for the, the cute, cuddly reason for the gender wage gap. You're just going to have to wait till next week. When I'm not drowning in public speeches, degrade. And this was the big errors and omission that I wanted to talk about because last week I said, did you know Bill Clinton won a war without putting a single troop on the ground? And I gave you no evidence for that. And I still haven't researched it. And and then I, I, I got on this Wikipedia page. And again, Wikipedia has its issues, but we won't look at anything that doesn't have any like reference numbers on it. We'll also talk about things that I believe are common knowledge. So Wikipedia aside, what we're going to do today is we're going to look and see if Bill Clinton is the best president statistically. <laughs> I have a close family member that believes Bill Clinton was the breast, the breast, the, <laughs> no pun intended, the best president statistically, but I never understood why he said that. So maybe, maybe this page will, uh, will explain to me uh, why, why that is. I'll give you my own rationale later. Uh, so we're going to skip the introduction part because they, they truncate a lot of stuff there. Also, don't want to talk about the early years. Uh, he went to Georgetown. He went to Oxford, so super smart guy. Uh, he opposed the Vietnam War. There was a draft controversy. Then he went to law school. He went to Yale Law School. Good for him. Let's see here. He was the governor of Arkansas, and he was going to run... Uh, for president in 1998, but he decided not to, and threw his uh, and threw his hat in the ring for let's see here, Michael Dukakis, which I believe who was the 88 uh, candidate, um, and also Gary Hart was the front runner that year, but he had to withdraw because of marital infidelities. They made a movie about Gary Hart and his infidelities called Front Runner. Uh, but I don't think it got really good reviews or it did terrible at the box office. And so you can check it out on your own if you want to. So anyways, uh, let's look at the, uh, presidential campaign. Um, you know, I don't think Bill Clinton did very much political savvy things to win the election. The, one of the main reasons that Bill Clinton was able to win the election was because Ross Perot was a third party candidate. And he was a very moderate but leaning right conservative candidate, which means that he would be siphoning off votes from H.W. Bush, who was the incumbent, and Bill Clinton kept the Democratic base, and thus he became president. And it was the last time that we had a president not serve two terms, and George H.W. Bush is now considered one of the best one-term presidents. He didn't do many things terribly wrong. He, he kind of had, like, this perception of weakness, but dude was in government, government for a really long time. Like, he was, a mem he was in the Senate. I believe he was in the House. Um, we'll have to do this next week. We'll just do just presidents every week. <laughs> uh, I certainly know he was, in the, uh, he was in the CIA. He was vice president, and then there you go. What else do we want to talk about here? Let's talk about Clinton's first term. 
Let's see here. Clinton was inaugurated as the 42nd president of the U.S. in 93. Less than a month after taking office, he signed the Family and Medical Leave Act of 93, which required large employers to allow employees to take unpaid leave for pregnancy or a serious medical condition. It had bipartisan support and was popular for the public. It says here there was a 20th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Um, he was big into saying that... Um, Abortions should be safe, legal, and rare. Now, who can argue with that? In fact, he said, Clinton said abortion should be kept safe, legal, and rare, a slogan that had been suggested by the University of California, San Diego political science scientist Samuel Popkin and first used by Clinton in December 91 while campaigning. So, I mean, that's the way that I look towards abortion, where it's like it should be legal, it should be extremely safe, and we should never use it. Uh, he announced plans for a budget deficit. Uh, he unveiled his economic plan at the State of the Union. Okay. In August, Clinton signed the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1993, which passed Congress without a Republican vote. It cut taxes for 15 million low-income families, made tax cuts available to 90% of small businesses, and raised taxes on the wealthiest 1.2% of taxpayers. Additionally, it mandated the budget be balanced over a number of years through the implementation of spending restraints. So this is the reason why no Republican voted for it, was because it raised taxes. But here's the thing, folks. Raising taxes, what if they just raise taxes on rich people? That doesn't include you, Aaron, or you, Joseph. I guess I don't know how rich you all are or anybody that listens to this podcast. I doubt a lot of rich people listen to this podcast, but again, it would not be you if a president, Joe Biden, comes in and starts raising taxes on rich people, okay? do I? And, and again, if he raises too much money on rich people, again, it might stifle innovation, but again, they'll just vote more Republicans in, all right? So, like, that's, that's like, that is the ebb and flow of, of the United States. It's either deficit spend or tax spend. You can't do both. Let's see here. In September, what did it say that? Uh, the omnibus crime bill, which Clinton signed into law in September 94, made many changes to U.S. crime and law enforcement legislation, including the expansion of the death penalty to include crimes not resulting in death, such as running a large-scale drug enterprise. Uh, during Clinton's re-election campaign, he said, My 94 crime bill expanded the death penalty for drug kingpins, murderers, and federal law enforcement officers, and nearly... Oh, I lost my place. Wow, golly, this thing is huge. Crap. Okay, my apologies. Oh, there it is. It was at the very bottom. And nearly 60 additional categories of violent felons. It also included a subsection of assault weapons ban for a 10-year period. So, yeah, he was big into... Uh, the death penalty, apparently, and he also had an assault weapons ban, which, again, would have been a very liberal thing to do back in the 90s. Uh, another thing he did back in September of that year uh, was he pushed for health care reform in the form of uh, children's health care, uh, and uh, his wife Hillary was behind that. You know Hillary Clinton, don't you? Uh, so anyways, that was the ch children's health, health insurance program. November 30th of that year, he signed the Brady Bill, which, again, was big for gun violence and, and gun reform and things like that. But also that month, he signed Don't Ask, Don't, Don't Tell, which was a huge anti-gay push where it was like, you can be gay in the military, just don't tell anybody. I mean, it's, it's very just dehumanizing as, as if to the point where it's like, you're not a human if you are... Um, if you're gay, so don't even say it. And these people are literally putting their lives on the line for our freedom. Uh, on January, where did his 
where did it go where he had the oh Christ Oh, there we go. On January 1994, Clinton signed the North American Free Trade Agreement into law. Throughout his first year of office, Clinton consistently supported ratification of the treaty by the U.S. Senate. Clinton and most of his allies in the Democratic Leadership Committee strongly supported free trade measures. There remained, however, strong disagreement within the party. Okay. So then let's get to DOMA because he also had even more things about about gay people he wasn't a big fan of. On September 21st of 96, Clinton signed into law the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage for federal purposes as the legal union of one man and one woman. The legislation allowed individual states to refuse to recognize gay marriages that were performed in other states. So, again, he may have been very liberal in some instances, like tax and spend for uh, tax rich people, but he was also very conservative in the event, uh, in, the, in the context of uh, gay people and LGBTQ, where it's like, don't ask, don't tell in the military, and you can't claim you're gay on your tax returns and get some sort of tax benefit because marriage is between a man and a woman. We know now that's not the case, is it? Kim Gormley, author of The Death of America Virtue, Clinton vs. Starr, reveals in his book that Clinton narrowly escaped possible assassination in the Philippines in November of 96. During his visit to the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, APEC, forum in Manila, while he was on his way to meet with a senior member of the Philippine government, Clinton was saved from danger minutes before his motorcade was scheduled to drive over a bridge charged with a time-improvised explosive device. Did you even know that? Oh my god! <laughs> Says something about an impeachment, Monica Lewinsky, staying on a dress, yada, yada. Oh, let's go to military and foreign affairs. <laughs> this is what I really wanted to talk about. So these are the wars that Bill Clinton fought during his, uh, during his uh, tenure. In Somalia, the Battle of Mogadishu occurred in Somalia in 93. During the operation, two U.S. helicopters were shot down by rocket-propelled grenade attacks to their tail routers, rotors, trapping soldiers behind enemy lines. This resulted in an urban battle that killed 18 American soldiers, wounded 73, and one was taken prisoner. There were many more Somali casualties. Some of the American bodies were dragged to the streets, a spectacle broadcast on television news programs. In response, U.S. forces were withdrawn from Somalia, and later conflicts were approached with fewer soldiers on the ground. So Somalia, kind of a dick move there. In Rwanda... In 94, genocide broke out in Rwanda. Intelligence reports indicate that Clinton was aware of a final solution to eliminate the Tutsis was underway, long before the administration publicly used the word genocide. Fearing a, a reprisal of the events in Somalia the previous year, Clinton chose not to intervene. President Clinton had referred to the failure of the U.S. government to intervene in the genocide as one of, the, one of his main foreign policy failings, saying, I don't think we could have ended the violence, but I think we could have cut it down, and I regret it. Here's one I always hear about, Bosnia and Herzegovina, or at least live through. In 95, U.S. and NATO aircraft bombed Bosnia-Serb targets to halt attacks on U.N. safe zones and pressure them into a peace accord that would end the Bosnian war. Clinton deployed U.S. peacekeepers to Bosnia in late 95 to uphold the subsequent Dayton agreement. So that may have been the war I was, I was talking about where he didn't put any troops on the ground. All he did was put down U.S. peacekeepers. Let's look at Kosovo. In the midst of a brutal uh, crackdown on ethnic Albanian separatists in the province of Kosovo by the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, Clinton authorized the use of U.S. armed forces in a NATO bombing campaign against Yugoslavia in 99, named Operation Allied Force. The stated reasoning behind the intervention was to stop the ethnic cleansing in what the Clinton administration labeled genocide of the Albanians by Yugoslav anti-guerrilla military units. So this goes on and on and on. So basically Kosovo was a pretty big deal, uh, but eventually we won. 
And I guess that's really all I really wanted to talk about. Uh, his judicial appointments, uh, to kind of wrap it back around, were Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 93 and Stephen Breyer in 94. I don't think... Um, I don't think that he is still on the court. I'm going to have to check that. I'm going to have to give you a list of the, uh, the nine individuals that are on the Supreme Court right now. But even with some of the things that he did by calling black individuals super predators and or at least referring to them as that and all the anti-LGBTQ uh, legislation, Clinton was the first president in history to appoint more women and minority judges than white male judges to the federal courts. In his eight years of office, 11.6% of Clinton's Court of Appeal nominees and 17.4% of his district court nominees were black. 32% of his Court of Appeal nominees and 28% of his district court nominees were women. So again, it's kind of touch and go with Bill Clinton. He's typically known as a moderate, uh, but also he does very liberal things. I'm a big fan of taxing uh, rich people and spending it. Uh, but overall, that's it. You know, don't want to talk much about the uh, the affairs and things like that. You're all very aware of that. But yeah, just wanted to go down memory lane, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Billy Bob. I might not name the podcast uh, a stroll down memory lane with President Bill Clinton, but that certainly was fun. And I think we learned a lot. Uh, next week, I'm going to tell you the cute, cuddly reason behind the gender pay gap in this country. And eventually, I want to do a show where I talk about all the products with political affiliations. Don't eat Goya beans, otherwise you're a racist. So, with that being said, Oops All Topics is presented by the Oops All Topics Network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice. Email me at jedgird1982 at gmail.com. Follow me on, or direct message me on Twitter or Instagram at thejedgird. Follow, share, or download the show at oopsalltopics.podme.com. And subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. Can we slap some of that bass? Thank you. Have a great week.